Well, it is a cold night in North Texas. Welcome to our Bible study here at First Baptist Church of Garland as we're going through a study entitled The Portrait of Jesus, looking at the Gospel of John, primarily what Jesus, a portrait of what he looked like from, from what he said, his words. And tonight we're wrapping up this study. We've been in it for 21 sessions, and tonight we will wrap that up. So, Again, just to let you know that we're not having any activities tonight at First Baptist Church of Garland. All Wednesday activities are canceled tonight. I'm pre-recording this uh, Bible study earlier. I do appreciate our media team coming in and helping me get this recorded so you could, uh, you could study God's Word with me tonight. But there are no activities here. So it's a cold night. It's a messy night. Uh, put another log on the fire. Grab a blanket. Curl up. Get a cup of coffee and and a device or your Bible and study God's Word with me. Some interesting things in John chapter 20 and chapter 21. Glad that you've joined us and we'll be going through our study together. First of all, before we pray and get started, I do want to remind you that starting next Wednesday night, February the 9th, we will begin our study looking at the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, at the book of Revelation I think that you're really going to enjoy that. And that will begin 6.15. You can join us virtually. You can join us in person next Wednesday night, February the 9th. And that's when our Revelation study will begin. Let's have a word of prayer and we will look at John 20 and 21. Wrap up the Gospel of John this evening. Let's pray together. God, thank you tonight for the opportunity to, on a cold night, just to pick up your words, study it together. Look at all the details that are, that are there. God, everything that's recorded in Scripture is there for a reason, there for a purpose. So let us examine that tonight, looking at the powerful resurrection of Jesus and the fact that He is still alive and the only Savior of the world. So Lord, tonight, I just pray the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. Guide us through our study. May the Word of God come alive this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I hope that you do have your Bible or device tonight. Follow along with me. You're going to get the most out of it, I believe, if you follow along chapters 20 and 21, concluding our study of John this evening. Last week, Jesus was crucified. Chapter 19 ends by them laying him in a tomb. Now, if it was... Any other ordinary man, the story would have ended there. The story would have ended in chapter 19 of John if it was anybody other than Jesus. I've read a lot of biographies. I know many of you probably have as well. Biographies end with the person's death. End of story. The book ends. But not Jesus. He is no ordinary man. Because once he dies and they lay him in a tomb and they bury him, the story is just getting started. Chapter 20 opens up with the powerful resurrection of Christ. Read with the first 10 verses, letter A on your outline there, the resurrection, verses 1 through 10. Now, in these 10 verses, I want you to notice something as I read through them. I want you to notice that the word saw or seeing, S-A-W or S-E-E-I-N-G, the word saw or seeing, notice how many times it is used in the first 10 verses. And I want you to notice there is a progression. Now the word saw in English is mentioned every time, but in Greek, three different words are used to see something. And it's done that way on purpose. I'll show you as we go through. There's a progression in what Mary saw, Peter saw, and John saw when they went into the tomb. So watch this as we go along. Verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been rolled away or taken away from the tomb. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 1, John says on the first day of the week, every gospel writer says that, on the first day of the week, why did they not say on the third day after he died? 
Why didn't they say that? Why didn't they say, on the third day, or on the third day after Jesus died, but they don't, none of them say that. They all say, on the first day of the week. Why? It's the beginning of a new dawn. It's the beginning of a new day, a new era of Christ being alive and the work going forward. In fact, all through Acts, it says the first day of the week. The disciples gathered on the first day of the week. That's why we worship on Sunday. Sunday's not the Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday. We worship on the first day of the week to show that we are a church following the Lord who resurrected and all the disciples met afterwards on the first day of the week to show that's the day they're celebrating he came back alive. So every Sunday, we are celebrating the resurrection. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away. The word saw there is the word blepo. It's just a normal, it's a normal Greek word that means that you see something. I see something. I acknowledge what I saw. That's the word blepo. It's the most common of the Greek words to see something. Verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, it's John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. We do not know where they have laid him. There were other women with him, with, with her. John only records Mary Magdalene, but the other gospel writers tell us a a more full picture that there were several women with her. So the women ran to get the disciples, Simon, Peter, and John, and said, Jesus' body isn't there. Somebody stole the body. That's significant. Because that shows that the women were not expecting a resurrection. Critics of Christianity say, oh, these women who were just crazy and out of their mind, hoping that against hope Jesus would be alive, ran there, saw the tomb, the stone was rolled away, and ran away yelling resurrection. No, they didn't. In fact, Celsus, one of the early philosophers in, in Greek, said Christianity is only a, quote, a, a story about hallucinating women. No, they weren't. They were not expecting a resurrection. They went to Peter and John and said, Somebody stole the body. He's gone. Now, it was very common in those days to have grave robbers. Robbers would go in, they would steal bodies, they would steal uh, valuables. People would be buried with valuables, they would steal valuables. In fact, Grave robbing was so common in the day of Jesus that about 20 years later, about 50 AD, the emperor Claudius made it a capital offense in Israel and really all the Roman Empire to rob a grave. So it's very common. So Mary Magdalene immediately thought, and the other women, somebody robbed the grave and stole the body of Jesus. They were not thinking resurrection. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Some theologians say at this time Peter was a little older than John. We don't know for certain. Some say a little older than John. Peter could have been mid-50s. John could have been mid to late-20s. So naturally, he's faster. We, we don't know that. But one outran the other, and they reached the tomb. Verse 5. And stooping to look in, he, talking about Peter, saw the linen cloths, but he did not go in. Or rather, John came first, saw the linen cloths, but didn't go in. Now, it would be unusual for the linen cloths to still be there. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Why would somebody, if they robbed the grave, would they leave the linen cloths, which were very valuable? They were expensive. Why would you steal the body but leave the valuables? 
It didn't make sense. So he kind of scratched his head, stooped in. He saw the word bleepo is used, just a normal casual seeing. Saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in the, team, to the tomb. But Peter shows up in verse 6. Now notice this. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. So John didn't go in. Peter did go into the tomb. And when he went in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. Now the word saw is different. It's not bleepo anymore. It's the word theori. Theori means to see something and to scrutinize it, contemplate. It, you, the wheels are turning. You don't just see something casually. You look at something and the wheels are turning like, huh, what am I looking at? And so theori is the word that's used. Peter went in, saw the linen cloths, and examined them like, huh, why are they here? And why are they like they are? Notice verse 7. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which Jesus had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths. They wrapped the body from neck down in one long cloth. Head was wrapped in a second cloth. The second cloth is separate from the first cloth. They're not near each other. And they're, and they're folded up in one place by itself. Now that was odd because if someone had come in and stolen the body, they would have very quickly unwrapped it. They wrap them like a mummy. Unwrap the body all the way head to toe, or rather neck to, to, to toe. Unwrap it and, it, and all the wrappings would just be lying there. But that's not what they saw. They saw all the wrappings folded in on each other. Still wrapped, collapsed. Like a cocoon, something has left. And the cocoon is still in shape. It has just collapsed in on itself. That's odd. Like, like, like a human didn't unwrap him. Or if a, if a ro robber was coming in, they would have cut the cloths. You would see cloths lying there cut in two. They weren't. The face cloth and the body cloth folded up neatly. How'd that happen? No human touched the body. Jesus is wrapped. He comes out of the wrapping and the wrapping collapses just as it was. That in itself is enough to prove the resurrection. But notice what John did, verse 8. The other disciple who reached the tomb first, John, also went in and saw and believed. So all it took for John to believe the resurrection was real was looking at the grave clothes. He didn't see Jesus' body. He didn't see him alive. He didn't encounter him. John believed when he simply saw the grave clothes. That's all. It was enough for him to believe, thinking no human took that body. He's alive. He resurrected. Now, the word for saw in verse 8 is a third Greek word. You got blepo, you have theori. Now you have the word eidon, E-I-D-O-N, for looking and seeing. Eidon is the Greek word for whenever you look at something, you scrutinize what it is, and you have the aha moment, you get it. It's like a detective looking at evidence. It means to perceive with, perceive with significance. So, so it's, it's the aha moment. It's like a detective looking through the evidence and he's looking at a piece of evidence and it clicks in his mind what happened. He goes, aha, that's Idon. 
So here's the progression. Mary Magdalene saw the tomb. The stone was rolled away. Peter came in and saw the grave clothes and perceived, huh, that's interesting. Starts to contemplate. John comes in, sees the grave clothes and goes, aha, I know exactly what happened. He's alive. So just the wording, the original language you see, John believed because of the linen cloths. Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. The empty cross and the empty tomb are God's receipts that the debt has been paid. Go letter B on your outline. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And she wept, at, and as she wept, she stooped down to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels sitting in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And the angel said to her, Woman, which is a term of respect, why are you weeping? If he's alive, why are you weeping? That's a really good question. If he's alive, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. She's still not thinking resurrection. She's still thinking grave robbers. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Think about this. The very first person Jesus appeared to after the resurrection was Mary Magdalene. It was a woman. It wasn't Pilate. It wasn't Caiaphas. It wasn't Annas. That would have been more impressive, wouldn't it? That the very first person he shows up I'm alive would be Pilate or Caiaphas. But that's not who he went to. It was Mary Magdalene. Why Mary? Well, maybe it was because she was the most devoted. She was the last to leave the cross and the first to come to the tomb. So he appeared to her first, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? He asked her two questions. Why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And she doesn't answer either question. She said, supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary! And she turned. And said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now stop there for a moment. Jesus does not use the Greek word for Mary, which is Maria, Maria, right there. He uses her Hebrew name, Miriam. It's almost like somebody that you haven't seen in years and you had a nickname as a kid and somebody out of the clear blue calls you by that nickname, you, it takes you back. He called her by her Hebrew name. Miriam! And she was stunned. Charles Spurgeon in this passage right here said, Jesus preached a pretty good sermon, only one word. Miriam! There's emotion charged in that word. She knew who it was. My sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. She knew that voice. And she knew it was Christ. Miriam. And so I find it interesting that Jesus showed Mary Magdalene who he was not by telling her who he was, but who she was. 
And she responded, Rabboni, which is what she called him in John eleven twenty eight, 28. A pet name back. And she knew it was Christ. And she began to hug him. And Jesus said, verse 17, she, he said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go to my brothers, and, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What did Jesus mean whenever Mary hugged him? What did Jesus mean by saying, don't cling to me? And why did John record this? A couple of reasons. Number one, I believe what he was saying, F.F. F. Bruce and other New Testament scholars agree and, and believe this as well, that he was saying, do not detain me. I still have more work before I ascend to the Father. And you have work too. You need to go tell the disciples that I'm alive. But a second reason why John recorded it. Back in the time that John wrote, there was a false teaching spreading around the church that Jesus really was not a real man. He was only a phantom, doceticism. He only appeared to be a man. But he was really a ghost. He was a phantom. You could, you could just, your hand would go right through him. And so he records Mary hugging him bodily to show that he was a real man after the resurrection. He wasn't a ghost or a phantom. He was real. And Mary hugged him. And John recorded it. Verse 18. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, same word for, for angel, angelos, messenger, announced to the disciples, a bringer of good news, I've seen the Lord. And he, that he had said these things to her. Now look at letter C on your outline. Jesus appears to the disciples, verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, still the day he resurrected, the first day of the week, the doors being locked for where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. The disciples feared they would be crucified next because they were followers of Christ. So they bolted the door so nobody could get in. But Jesus came and stood among them. He just, he just came through the walls and appeared and said to them, Peace be with you. Shalom. Whenever angels appeared to humans, it frightened them, it startled them. And many times their first words were, Don't be afraid, peace. Jesus, walking through the walls, know that that would frighten them. But yet he's not a phantom, remember? Mary hugged him. He's not a phantom, he's real. Appeared to the doors and said, peace to you. When he had said this, verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now look at verse 22, interesting verse. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. He comes in Acts. The word breathe there is the same word from, from Hebrew, meaning in, in Genesis 2, to breathe the breath of life into someone. The same word in Exodus 37, the valley of dry bones, and, and the Holy Spirit breathed life into the, the dead bones. And he's breathing spiritual life into them. Some people say this is when the disciples were saved. We don't know that. But he, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now some people look at that saying, Aha, Peter is the first pope. There you have the lineage of the pope being able to forgive sins. No, no, that's not what he's saying. It's in, the, it's in the passive voice, which means somebody does it for you. It's in the perfect tense, which means once uh, an action that takes place with continuing effects. So what Jesus was saying was, somebody else forgives them for you, disciples, and they will be forgiven from then on. So the disciples weren't doing the forgiven, forgiving. They were announcing the forgiveness of someone else, middle voice, who had done it for them. Now, go to letter D on your outline, Jesus and Thomas, verses 24 to 29. 
Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now here's Thomas. Stop for a moment. Thomas gets a bad rap as being doubting Thomas, and that's because of what he said here. But Thomas was someone earlier in Jesus' ministry willing to go die with him at the cross. He was devoted to Jesus. But Thomas had been there at the crucifixion, and he knew for certain he saw Jesus die. The only thing he knew for sure was he was dead. I saw it, no doubt. They took his body down. He's dead. And Thomas was disillusioned. Disciples gathered. Thomas sought loneliness rather than togetherness. Was not there whenever Jesus appeared because he's out by himself going his way thinking, my Lord has been crucified. There's nowhere else to go. So he shows up to the disciples. They're going, hey Thomas, you missed it. Jesus is here. No, 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 no. I saw him dead and unless I see with my own eyes and put my finger into the prints of the nails and my hand into his side because I saw that sword go in, I will never believe. But eight days later, something happened. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He came through the walls a second time and said, Peace be with you. Shalom. And he turned to Thomas and said, Put your finger here. Now, Jesus hadn't been there when Thomas said that, but Jesus is always listening to what we say. Thomas, put your finger here. Thomas, put, put your hand right here. Do not disbelieve, but believe. In verse 28 tells us Thomas believed he never had to put his finger in the prince. Doesn't tell us he did it. He never had to put his hand on the side. He just saw the Lord and he believed. And listen to what he said, verse 28. Powerful verse. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Whew. Man, I mean, Thomas, Thomas went from the greatest skeptic to making the greatest confession. Nobody in all the Gospels ever looked at Jesus and said, My Lord and my God. For any Jew to call another Jew God was blasphemous. And here was Thomas looking at Jesus saying, You are God. My Lord. Personal pronoun. He's accepting Him. And my God. And Jesus accepted the worship. He did not say, no, 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 Thomas. Whoa, whoa. Thomas, you're all mistaken. No, no, there's only one God, and you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. Just worship God only. There's only one. I'm not God. But he didn't say that. He accepted Thomas saying, you are God. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Orthodox Jews, Muslims, all of you who say Jesus never claimed to be God, there you have it. Thomas said, you are my God and my Lord. Both of them, both of them titles of deity. And Jesus didn't refuse it. Notice what he said. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those 
who have not seen and yet have believed. He never said, Thomas, you are mistaken, misguided, or you're wrong. He's God. Go to letter E on your outline, the purpose of the book. John writes something interesting in two verses here, 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. Remember when we first started the study, uh, we talked about uh, John recording seven signs that Jesus did that proved he was the Messiah and God. And now he says, there were many other signs he did that I just did, I couldn't write in the book. But these are written, the ones I did write, verse 31, these are written so that you may believe, like Thomas, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, this was just no intellectual exercise about the life of Jesus. My purpose in telling you these things is that you come to the same conclusion as Thomas. That he's God. That he's your God. That he's your Lord. And that by believing in his name, you may have life. So really, the climax or the culmination of the gospel of John is Thomas' confession. We go to chapter 21. There's one more chapter. But the climax, the conclusion, really comes at the end of chapter 20. Let's look at the last chapter, chapter 21, letter F on your outline. Jesus appears to seven disciples, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again. So think about this. It was eight days after the resurrection. He, he appeared to Thomas. He, he ascended to heaven on the 40th day. So sometime in the 32-day span, Jesus appeared to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, John is the only gospel writer that calls the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias. That was one of its names. Sea of Gennesaret, uh, uh, Kinneret, um, Sea of Tiberias. No other gospel writer calls the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias except John. And I don't really know why he did it. I've never seen any theologian say why he did here. But that's what the Romans called it was the Sea of Tiberias. Why did he use the Roman term here? We don't really know. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and James and John, and the two, other two of his disciples were together, so seven of them. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Why would they just go fishing? Well, think about this. They had given up everything to follow Jesus as the Messiah. He's crucified. Yes, they saw him alive, but now things really wouldn't be the same anymore. Peter's denied him. The disciples all forsook him and fled. They probably think he's given up on them and gone to other, other people. So they just went back to doing what they know. That's fishing. So they went back to their old lives after following Jesus. Thinking, he's alive, but it's, it'll never be the same between us again. So they just went back to fishing. Kind of sad. But verse 4 happens. They fished all night, and just as the day was breaking, just sun rising, Jesus stood on the shore... But the disciples did not know it was Jesus. They're out there fishing. They're starting to be sunrise. Jesus is on the shore cooking breakfast while they're fishing in the boat just a little ways off the shore. Some theologians see in that phrase in verse 4, just as the day was breaking, symbolism in that a new day was breaking for the disciples. A day when they would be restored and forgiven and used of God and things would go back like they were before with the Lord. A new day was dawning and it was symbolic because they, the sun's breaking now starting a new day in verse 4. 
So Jesus is on the shore. And he yelled to them out there while they're fishing on the boat. Children, do you have any fish? And they yelled back, no. A couple of interesting thoughts. Why did he call them children? In fact, the Greek word that's used there is pateon. It literally means little boys. Imagine these rough and rugged fishermen who fished for a living before following Jesus. They're out there in the boat. They fished all night. And they hear a voice from the shore saying, Hey, little boys, did you catch anything? They probably thought, Who's calling us little boys? And they yell back, No! And the voice says, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll catch some. And the disciples are probably thinking, who's the armchair fisherman on the shore over there? Who is it telling us how to fish? We've done it our whole lives. Who's saying cast the net on the other side of the boat? And just about their time, they're probably getting just a little annoyed their mind goes back to Luke chapter 5. Do you remember that? Luke chapter 5, they'd fished all night, hadn't caught anything. Jesus showed up and said, cast the net on the other side of the boat. And they cast on the other side of the boat and they caught a lot of fish. And, and Peter fell down at Jesus' feet and said, I'm not worthy to be in your midst. And Jesus says, okay, Peter, from now on you'll catch men, not fish. It was their initial calling to ministry. And it happens again. And so their minds probably start wondering, huh, wait, wait, a, wait a minute. Didn't the same thing happen back in Luke 5? And so it says, they did so, verse 6, they cast their net and they were made a haul so large they were unable to bring it in because of the quantity of fish. And verse 7 says, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. I remember this happening. It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. They would fish. Uh, it was a long, long outer garment called a chiton. They would take that off the fish. Many times it got hot. And so he put it back on, threw himself into the sea, and swam to Jesus. The other disciple came in the, with the boat, dragging the net of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off of it. Verse 9, when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus had been cooking breakfast. Now, stop for a moment. Anytime you see details in the Gospels, they're there for a reason. And Jesus was cooking over a charcoal fire. You remember two weeks ago in here, Whenever I was teaching this lesson and Peter was denying the Lord, Jesus was being tried at his trial. Peter was warming himself around the campfire and it says there was a fire, a charcoal fire. And he was warming his hands and three times he denied the Lord. But it was a charcoal fire. It was mentioned two chapters earlier. Charcoal, when it burns, gives off a, a, a distinct smell and so now they show up and there's a charcoal fire on the shore and Jesus is cooking. And they show up and Peter probably remembers Jesus, the one, one of the last times I saw you. I was warming my hands and that smell of the charcoal brings back that bad memory and I'm smelling it again. And Lord, I'm a little embarrassed and ashamed because you're here and I denied you the last time around a charcoal fire. And they show up, and Jesus said, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Verse 11, So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled 
the net ashore full of large fish. That many fish would have weighed about 300 pounds. Other gospel writers say other disciples came and helped him get the haul of fish. 300 pounds of fish. So they got the net, verse, verse 11, 153 fish. Now, remember what I said about the charcoal fire. Every detail of the gospel is important. 153 is an odd number. Why would Jesus tell them, go get the fish? They bring them and they count them and there's 153. Why? Well, Theologians have kind of scratched their heads for a long time about why 153 fish and the significance of that specific number, because it's a very specific number. Augustine, uh, one of the early church fathers, he said if you count, if you add the numbers 1 through 17 and keep adding them as multiple, I mean, uh, of additions of themselves, you come to 153. So 17 is the magic number that stands for 10 commandments of God and 7 gifts of the Spirit. Boy, that's a large, that's a big stretch if you ask me. Cyril of Alexander said 100 is the number of Gentiles, that stands for the number of Gentiles, 50 for the number of Israel, 3 for the Trinity. That's another big stretch. Jerome said, another early church father, said that was the number of fish in the Sea of Galilee. There were 153 different kinds of fish. And they had one of every kind, which would symbolize going to the nations and reaching every person with the gospel. Maybe. That's still a stretch. Some say that was the number of countries at that time. Maybe. It's close. Some say it was the number of converts that Peter would have to the gospel. We don't know that. But I think, I think there is a better suggestion. A better suggestion that any Jew would know. We Gentiles don't know it as well. Jews do. And that is what's known as Hebrew gematria. Here's what in Hebrew they do. The numbering system in Hebrew is numbered by the alphabet. Now in English it's not that way. We have, a, we have numbers and we have the alphabet and they don't relate to each other. In Hebrew, their numbering system comes from their alphabet. So therefore, Aleph is a number assigned to it. Uh, you know, a bait, a, a, another, uh, you know, a, a letter assigned to it. And, and all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. And if you add the numbers together of Ani Elohim in Hebrew, it's a 153 Jews would know that, even, even Jews today know that. Ani Elohim. So the 153 means I am God. Ani Elohim, I am God. So the disciples knew, being Jews, being Hebrews, steeped in Hebrew culture and study, would know 153 fish was our Lord's way of saying He's God. Verse 11, And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask Him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and said with the fish, This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he raised them from the dead. Go to letter G on your outline. Jesus and Peter, verses 15 to 19. Usually after a meal was when education or teaching took place. It happened at the Last Supper. It happens again here. They ate together. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than these what? Nets, more than these fish, more than the boats, more than the disciples. I personally think it was the fish. You have 300 pounds of fish and you're a fisherman. You are ecstatic. You want to go back and fish more. And he asked him, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And he said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. Third time, verse 17, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let me mention a couple of things and then we'll move on. Notice that Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? He restored him three times, one time for every denial around the campfire. There's a connection between the campfire and the breakfast, definite connection. Denied him three times, Jesus restored him three times. Jesus uh, was saying basically, Peter, you are not barred from future ministry. I'm going to use you just as great after your denial as I did before your denial, even greater the word feed is the word bosco in Greek. It means a general term of taking care. Tending sheep, poimeno, is a little more specific of taking care of specific needs. Will you tend my sheep or feed my sheep in general? Then would you tend specifically to every single thing that they have going on? So that was the, that was the task. And then, of course, you know the difference between the agape and the phileo words that are used here. Jesus said, do you agape me? Peter, no, I phileo you. Jesus, do you agape me? No, I phileo you. And then Jesus said, do you phileo me? And Peter said, I phileo you. Maybe Peter couldn't bring himself to the point again of saying, so disappointed in having turned away from the Lord, denied the Lord, couldn't bring himself again to say, I agape you. And then Jesus made a prediction, verse 18. Truly I say to you, when you're young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. Exact same thing he said earlier. Follow me. Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, you're going to stretch out your hands and you're going to die a death of crucifixion just like me. And it happened about 35 years later. Nero was the emperor. Peter said he was not worthy to die like Jesus. He would rather be crucified upside down than right side up. And so they crucified him, stretched out his hands. And tradition says they crucified Peter upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like his Lord right side up. Then the last one, uh, verses 20 to 25, go to letter H on your outline. Jesus and the beloved apostle. This is John. So John closes his book with his personal encounter with Jesus. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, following them, the one who also leaned back against him during the supper, and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? If I'm going to have to die stretched out, what about John? What's going to happen to him? And is he going to have to die? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say that to him, he's about to die, but if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Let me explain what, what was going on. Peter turned and said, Jesus, what about John? I'm going to have to die. Is John going to have to die? And, and, and he said, if, even if he's still alive when I come back, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. So because Jesus said that, the early church began to think Jesus was going to return before John died. John lived in an old age to be an old man in Ephesus. And so the very first date setting of when Jesus would return happened right here among the disciples. They're thinking, huh, he's going to come back before John dies. And, and John's going, no, he didn't, he didn't say that. But they thought he said that. And then verse 24 and 25 closes our book. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, talking about himself, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. What he's saying is, 
I was an eyewitness to all of these things I wrote to you. What I'm telling you is true. Now there are also many other things, verse 25, that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So what he's telling us is Jesus did many of the things the Gospels never recorded. I know some people believe, well, if it's not in the Gospels, then it didn't happen. There are a lot of things Jesus did not recorded in the Gospels. And John tells us that. And said, in fact, if we wrote everything Jesus did from the perspective of everybody else, we wouldn't have enough books to even contain all of his story. Because he means so much to so many different people people and that's how John ends his gospel notice he started out in chapter 1 to to present to us the word made flesh and he ends by saying the world's not able to contain everything he is boy did he present the word made flesh in a grand and powerful way and Jesus is still all of those things to you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study the gospel of John together. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity just to open it up, study it in depth, see what you said. And God, I, I thank you so much that Jesus is still alive. And we praise you for who he is and all that he has done. God, I just pray that you'd bless this book that we've studied in its entirety. Bless it and use it in our lives in the days to come. And now, Lord, as we turn our attention to Revelation starting next week, would you bless that study as well? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you once again for joining us for the study of the Gospel of John. Hope it's been a blessing to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed studying and researching and presenting it to you. Can't wait for next Wednesday night. We pick up with Revelation chapter 1. I hope that you'll join us online or here in person. It's going to be a great study next week. Have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.